is Douglas Carswell, President and CEO of Mississippi Center for Public Policy. Douglas, good morning to you, good sir. Good morning, Cole. You? Good morning, Mississippi. It is a pleasure. Uh, one opening story here. Title 42 is history now. And it could have impact on Mississippians, and I don't think we spend enough time thinking. We're a southern state. We're not that far from the border, from the Gulf Coast to the Delta. It is going to have an impact on us. There are some analysts out there who are seeing that 40% increase in the illegals coming from numerous countries, from Venezuela to China, now that 42 is gone. And if you're counting, and apparently Joe Biden is, uh, that's about nine, another 9 million people in two years, yeah, as an immigrant, and we could be affected by that. As an immigrant to your country, I came here following the rules. I deeply resent the fact that people can just walk no. across the border and stay. If America wants to have a immigration system that works, great, fantastic. Congress should approve it. It should be democratically decided. You can't just have a free for all where people wander across the border. It means you're not attracting the people that America wants, no. and it, it it's apart from anything. It, what about what about all of it? all of those of us who came here legally. You know, you just sparked something to me that I've never thought about before because I, I feel passionate about this. Not to say that if, you you know, your family came over the Mayflower, you wouldn't feel passionately about this. But I think for people whose fathers, grandfathers, grandparents, or great-grandparents came over as immigrants and who did it legally the right way, I think we have a little bit extra passion sometimes for that because yeah. we know what they went through. Yeah. As, as a recent arrival, and I think those people who've come to America recently or whose families have come to America recently, mm -hmm. they realize the value of what it is to become an American and what an incredible privilege it is. It literally is like having the first prize lottery ticket in the lottery of life to have an American citizenship. And the fact that you just see people walking across the border who've broken all the rules and there's no serious attempt yeah. by the federal government to enforce the law. That, that's, you know, either America is a nation of laws or it's not. We are lucky that people want to come to America, but as you said, you have to have something. We, we, we can open our borders to a lot of people, but it has to be organized. I, I saw a statistic the other day, and I, and I was kind of taken aback by this. How lucky we, because you just mentioned this, why people want to come back, uh, come to America, and still do, from every other country in the world, to be honest with you. But if you are looking at the 1% of income, if, in other words, if you are in the one percentile of income uh, in America, uh, I'm sorry, on planet Earth, your 1%, when you take the entire world, I, I believe it's either thirty-two or $36,000. If you make 32, let me just split it and say 34, and I think I'm off a couple here. Let's just say if you make $34,000 a year, you're in the 1% of highest income on planet Earth. You know, that gives you an idea of, of how good we are in this country. Yeah. I, I'm constantly struck how ordinary blue-collar, regular working folk I know in Mississippi mm -hmm. live much, much, much better living standards, have much higher living standards than people who are considered incredibly wealthy in the UK. And the UK is a relatively prosperous country. Ordinary Americans have got it incredibly good. And if people want to come here to be American, I think obviously certain obligations need to come with that. Yeah. And you need an immigration system that 
allows people to come but accepts certain obligations in return. I agree and with I, you. I, I think that's the secret of America's success. Well, you have two things here. Number one, you have uh, any country in the world, take Haiti or Ethiopia or any of these other places that are impoverished and third world countries, would love to trade in their level of poverty for our yeah. level of poverty here. Also, America shouldn't be apologetic about having laws that determine who comes here and enforcing them. I couldn't just walk into Ethiopia and say I'm going to stay. I couldn't just walk into Haiti and say I'm yeah. going to stay. Most countries around the world have borders and enforce who moves across those borders. America shouldn't apologize at all for enforcing its own laws. Well, we do that because it is it is strictly political. We it's being controlled by politics. Uh, I I know you've watched Mayorkas as much as I have. And you listen to this guy and you think, how in the world could he be in that It's going to be chaotic for a while. Is he admitting for all practical? President Biden now says the border is, quote, and I'm quoting him now, going to be chaotic for a while. Is he admitting for all practical purposes that the Biden administration is not prepared for what's about to happen? Well, thanks very much for having me. So I've been saying for months and months uh, that we've got a very challenging situation at the border. Uh, and indeed, it's going to get more challenging uh, when Title 42 comes to an end. So this is uh, perfectly in line with what I have been it's, saying. It's classic. If you stand up and you say what the problem is, you don't have to solve it. But uh, <laughs> this is done all the time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think there's not just incompetence on the part of the federal government. I think there's an element amongst America's liberal elite of self-loathing. They, they dislike America so much. They're almost willing to allow anyone to come here almost as an act of, of self-harm. It's, it's bizarre. As an outsider, I think it's extraordinary. What does this do as far as crime is concerned in our state? We had a bust. Uh, I have the story here. I don't know if you've seen this on the coast. Uh, they stopped a vehicle, and I believe it was a 1,000. Here it goes. Hancock County Sheriff Ricky Adams hopes a recent arrest and drug seizure on I-10 will get parents and kids talking about the dangers of pills. Yesterday, a day before yesterday, uh, criminal interdiction agents with the sheriff's office stopped a car in I-10, searched the vehicle, found 1,000 fentanyl tablets. Mm. A thousand. Here's a Georgia guy that was coming back from uh, Louisiana in that area. Not sure if he'd been on the border or not, but Martin Williams, 34 years old, said Williams was traveling from Louisiana back to Georgia through Hancock County. He was stopped. He'll be charged with uh, possession of a controlled substance. But, I mean, you got a thousand yep. fentanyl. I mean, if you lose control of your borders, you don't just have anyone crossing. You have anything crossing. And what's clearly happening is it's not just people walking across. There are drugs and all sorts of illicit substances coming across. But, you know, I, I think separately from the issue of immigration, there is mm -hmm. a, a debate to be had about crime here in Mississippi. Over the past few years, America generally, and Mississippi more specifically, has embarked on what you might call a, an experiment um, on, on crime. Far less proactive policing, resulting in fewer arrests, a determined effort to actually lower the incarceration rate, and whether um, by design or sometimes incompetence, fewer prosecutions. I, I think we need to have a serious conversation about what some of the consequences of this soft on crime agenda have actually produced. And I think we need to look at some of the statistics. We, we're often told Mississippi has an incarceration problem. It, it, it's simply not the case. Mississippi incarcerates fewer people now than it did a few years ago. In, in 2014, mm. Mississippi locked up 21,000 people. Today, 
Miss, or in 2022, Mississippi only incarcerated 16,000 people. That's a decrease of about a fifth of the prison population. Now, over that time, according to the Bureau of Justice Statistics, violent crime in this state has risen 700%. I think we need to ask ourselves if this soft-on-crime approach is really working for ordinary Mississippians. I was uh, listening, and I think I have it in, in an audio somewhere, where uh, you look at the people committing this crime and through recidivism and also the, the people just let back out on the streets. It's a very small percentage of people. Uh, absolutely. I mean, about 2013, 2014, Mississippi passed a series of laws that gave people, in effect, a sort of automatic entitlement when in prison to be considered mm -hmm. for parole. And, and respect to the parole board, they have not always given them parole, which is good. But yeah. there is an increase in violent crime directly related to the release of people who frankly let's, should still let's, be involved. Let, let's talk more about this when we come back in just the a moment. The statistics tell us that when it comes to politically motivated violence, in 2022, every single murder was committed by a right-wing extremist. Every single murder in America was committed by a right-wing extremist? Every single politically motivated murder was committed by a right-wing extremist. Are you sure about that? I am what are, are, you, are you aware that the uh, Tennessee shooter just recently identified as a man and she was a biological woman? Was she a right-wing extremist? No. Boom. Back with more coming up next. Bruce, you can fade that real quickly Before here, Before the sir. buses arrived, three Orange County hotels reached out to the veterans and said, hey, you have one day to vacate. One day. And mind you, these are 20 homeless veterans who are trying to reintegrate back into society. All combat veterans all served our country honorably, given one day to vacate. And like you said, it's been about the money. We wanted to shine a light on this because we don't want any other hotels to do what they've done to these patriotic Americans. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. There are some people in Texas saying the, the hospitals, the schools, the, 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 most of the nonprofit organizations are just absolutely stacked. They can't do anymore. It's, uh, and who knows how that's going to affect us at our hospitals and in our schools in the state, should we get a wave or multiple waves of immigrants coming into our state? Yeah. No, a country can't absorb this size of immigration influx without it having, over a period of a few years, significant consequences, not just on public services, but just on the composition of the country. Um, these are vast numbers of people coming into America. Have you uh, weighed in on the parole situation and uh, our con uh, conversation we just had with uh, Daniel Sparks? Have you, uh, has the public policy weighed in, uh, weighed in on that subject? Well, we've not commented on a specific case, and we would try mm -hmm. and avoid doing that because there are nuances and complexities that we're just not familiar with. But I think what we are doing is setting out a clear conservative policy on crime. A conservative policy on crime should not automatically look to reduce the size of the prison population. We think that if you automatically reduce the size of the prison population, which is what many people have been pushing for for the past 10 or 15 years, it has significant consequences in terms of an increase in violent crime. The, the, the data clearly now shows this. A 20% a, a reduction in the prison population in Mississippi has corresponded with a 700% increase in violent mm -hmm. crime. We think we need to call time on the movement to de-incarcerate Mississippi prisons. There are certain things we, we could do better when it comes to prison. 
Um, I personally don't think that if people are, are guilty of uh, nonviolent crimes or, or, or victimless crimes, necessarily they should necessarily be incarcerated. But when it comes to violent criminals and criminals um, who have committed crimes where there are victims, um, you know, this drive to release them early, which is yep. what it is, yep. has had serious, serious consequences. And that consequences paid for by vulnerable communities in Mississippi. Take, for example, Jackson. In 2013, the year before these anti-incarceration policies were introduced, 28 people were murdered in Jackson per 100,000 people. By 2021, almost four times more people, 101 people per 100,000 were murdered in Jackson. These anti-incarceration policies have a real consequence on people in places like Jackson, and we need to call time on them. Well, many of these were let out numerous times, as you just heard. I mean, the, and, and, and the problem is not at the police department. The problem is in the judicial system where we've got to stop this. Well, you know, you, you wouldn't be a good person if you didn't believe in rehabilitation and redemption. Mm -hmm. Redemption is a very powerful idea, and it's a good thing that when people are incarcerated, we should seek to rehabilitate them. But the primary purpose of prison is not to rehabilitate people. It really isn't. The primary purpose of prison is to incarcerate bad people so they can't be out there doing bad things to good people. And if Thank we you. lose sight of Thank that... You. That's it. If we lose sight of that, they go out there and re rehabilitation becomes an excuse to re-release people back <laughs> yeah. into the community to commit horrific crimes. Now, take, for example, this idea that everyone needs a second chance, this nonsense that some well-meaning conservatives perpetuate that everyone needs a second chance. The average criminal released from a state prison has got five previous convictions. That doesn't sound like a second chance. That sounds like five or six chances. Mm -hmm. We need to call time on this nonsense. It's having devastating consequences well, for people in places like Jackson. Well, let me ask you this, because, and I think I think this is the feeling of most people in, in uh, this audience across the state, is that we don't mind, and we see a need because of the cost factor and the fiscal responsibility. We see a need to decrease the the incarceration rate at the prison. We hope we hope that happens through all of the programs that they put out there, and people on, and a cut down in recidivism and all of those things. But I think most people in this audience says, "Wait a minute! If that doesn't work, and we've got people who seriously need to stay in there, from what you just mentioned a few moments ago, to protect the people who are law-abiding citizens, then hell, buy more, build more prisons." Uh, absolutely. I mean, there are two points that the anti-incarceration lobby which includes some well-meaning conservatives, have cited in order to insist that reduction in prison population is a good thing. One, they say it's very expensive. Yes, it is expensive incarcerating yeah. people. It's expensive to maintain borders too. Governments need to sometimes do expensive things. Locking up bad people and protecting our borders are two things that government should spend money on. The second idea is that somehow we need to release people so they can go back into their communities and that this is somehow good for families. I'm sorry, the evidence overwhelmingly shows that if you release some of these violent criminals back into their families, it's bad for the community and it's devastating for what is yeah. left of their family. It's wishful thinking, it's naivety, and it has real consequences, and it's time to call time on it. Well, I know you weren't following this particular case, but I think this is going to resonate all the way into the 2024 and cause uh, several bills, and, and hopefully those bills will see a life all the way toward the end to make some corrections one way or the other in the parole system because it's broken uh, the way it is now. And uh, as far as Mr. Belk's concerned, when he was charged with come in and fix this thing, I don't know if it's yeah, been fixed. I mean, I, I wouldn't be too harsh on the parole board because, as I said at the very beginning, no. legislation has given violent criminals an automatic right to appeal 
for release. And the parole board, I think, has done a pretty good job in saying no in most cases. I don't think we should. I don't think we should be too unforgiving of the parole board. I think they've basically done a good job. I disagree with you. I think when you have two cases like this back to back and unanswered questions, I think people in the state have every single right to a question that. Absolutely. There are some examples that you can cite where I'm sure you're right. But generally speaking, the problem I don't think is the parole board. I think the problem is legislation and a, a, yeah. an assumption by policymakers that they need to reduce the prison population. That is we, the We will agree to disagree on that one. And, you know, and I don't want to be redundant, but I've been here long enough to know that when we brought in many years ago before you uh, crossed the pond here we brought in something called uh, and it was it was the it was trending uh, 85 once you've served 85 percent of your uh, your conviction and your time in prison that was it the 85 and that was gonna that was gonna release good people out of the prison and give them a break and when that started happening and we took that out of the judge's hands and put it into the legislative hands, it created chaos. Yeah. I, I'm not generally speaking a fan of demanding that judges have restrictions on the sentences they give. Minimum sentencing, I think, has its limits. It, it, it should be for judges to decide these things, Absolutely. not the legislature. Yeah. Let me switch uh, topics here real quick since I've got you in here. Uh, there are what? Are there, is it four hospitals now that have dropped their membership in the Mississippi Hospital Association? Yeah, and I can't help four of the big hospitals. Yeah, and they 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 tend to be um, the, the the public ones. I think I'm right in saying. Yeah, um, one of the things we hear over and over again is that the CON will be a topic of conversation. Yep. We will consider it. Uh, with seriousness in the upcoming uh, legislative session, and it just never happens. What, what's your thoughts on this going into 2024? I'm very, very excited by hearing uh, the governor saying very clearly that mm -hmm. if he has a second term, he will lead the campaign to get rid of these con laws. These con laws are what explains why people in Mississippi earning $30,000, $40,000 a year cannot get affordable health care. It prices the cost of health care. The people who like this are the established producers, the big hospitals, the big organizations who have powerful lobbying interests in the legislature. And I'm afraid we need to we need to take the fight to them. We need to say that certificate of need laws are a restrictive practice. I personally think they're unconstitutional. They're certainly unfair. And we need to dismantle the restrictive practices that price ordinary Mississippians out of mm -hmm. being able to get health care. We can do it. And I think there's growing political will now to do this. I see a real opportunity in yeah. the new legislature to do this. Anytime you have something that runs uh, counter socialistically to capitalism, uh, can you imagine Wendy saying, uh, we have a CON, no McDonald's can come in? Absolutely. <laughs> it, would be, it would be crazy if, if, if yeah. Wendy's needed McDonald's permission to open a new branch. And yet that's how yes. we've been running healthcare in Mississippi for 40 years. And it explains why you know, you've got some very well-funded, big, powerful health producer interests, and yet Mississippi is a state with some of the worst health outcomes in America. If you look at the top two or three things, I think that's going to be one of them. The other one is going to be taxes. Yeah. We, we are we, poised in the South to have an exodus, and it's, it's, it, it's already high, but it's going to continue even more so. Hell, California, not, <laughs> not only the tuck and reparation, yeah. they've just passed a bill to give uh, total benefits of what any citizen who's been there all their life, unemployment insurance, et cetera, et cetera, to literally 
tens, hundreds of thousands not, of they? new immigrants coming in. Calif How in the hell can you afford that? Well, if California has gone mad, all the more reason for us to get sane policies and attract That's Californians it. here. Yeah, and uh, we, we need to look at the top two or three, and I know you guys have seen that, and it's going to be something that you work on for the next legislative session. Always good having you in, sir. Thank you so much.